again and welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, joined by a battling Tim Cutler, as Daniel Beswick is out for hopefully the last week after a gruelling Women's World Cup in New Zealand. Tim, I'm sorry to hear that you've been knocked around a bit by Omicron after testing positive last week. Yeah, I've not had the uh, the greatest weeks. A lot of people have had a, a lot worse, so I'm not going to cry my coulda, shoulda, wouldas, just to say that I've probably had a week to forget. Um, you know, think of the sort of the worst flu you've ever had and sort of, you know, roll it in all in a little bit more mucus and trying to sleep and, uh, and whatnot. So yes, but I'm, I'm feeling a week later like I'm ready to rejoin the world of the living <laughs> and the fact that Bez wasn't available for this was slightly stressful, but uh, hopefully he'll be back next week and uh, done a great job over there. Bez, I, I, I actually saw him do a pitch report completely in a Kiwi accent, but I think we can we can bring that up <laughs> bring that up next week. Um, one of the EC contributors is saying, how much would it take to increase their patron pledge for us to do an entire pod in a Kiwi accent? <laughs> Just give um, Bez a couple of beers, he'll be he'll be doing that for I free. Was gonna, I was going to say, you don't have to raise it at all, but uh, no, I'm, a, I'm okay. I think it's, you know, kind of, you look at the calendar, you just got to put a red line, I think, through through this last week for me um a few bits and pieces done we well in the middle of it all we're able to get patrick Matautava off to, to denmark oh, yes. to play his season finally um fourth time lucky you know he had a flight cancelled the one that was going to go to sydney so he flew four days later to to auckland it was four days later that's you know it's useless the story um and then that was cancelled on the day um, and then we weren't able to rearrange his ongoing flight, even though they re- rearranged it to a couple of days later. So we finally got him on the one leaving to get a Sydney on the 4th of April. And then uh, the day before he tested positive, so, so we thought, <laughs> oh, this is, the dream is over. Um, I think we'd bought four tickets by that stage. I, I don't know if you can parlay, um, you know, cancellation fees against other ones, but uh, luckily we've bought travel insurance at whatever point that... You know, you get to a point of actually cancelling tickets so we know what the cancellation fees and then claiming the total amount. But then thankfully with relaxation and testing requirements everywhere from Australia to Qatar to, to Denmark, it actually meant that he was able to fly when positive because as long as you're vaccinated, those later two, if you're a transit passenger in, in Qatar, because everybody wants to talk about travel restrictions, don't they? <laughs> but no, Pat's, Pat's there, he got picked up from Copenhagen playing for Herning Cricket Club and he's already sent videos through at 0.4 <laughs> degrees in the morning or something was when he's waking up so maybe he's got the uh the hand warmers but uh that, so that was a well I say shining light not really poor old Eddie Mansali he was uh he was having to be oh, what was the name of that English F1 driver Eddie Eddie Irvine uh no Nigel Mansell oh Nigel yeah right. that's what it was he was like Nigel yeah so I've got Eddie Mansell it's like Eddie Mansali so he's yeah, driving everywhere trying to get things done so and me trying to kind of get things like from the nerve center of this like just sweaty heap that I was <laughs> trying to get it all done but you know got to get things done sometimes and sometimes it's actually good to distract you from when you feel like that because you've, you've got to just get on with it it's almost like occasionally when you may have overdone it on the night before uh, but you've got stuff to do the next day it's almost good because you just get on with it and it, it felt a bit like that so that's that was good news of the last week how about your end nicholas i think it's the weather the wild weather is hitting the eastern seaboard of australia again that's a starting from a cyclone i think not far from here but yeah it's interesting we get sort of the other side of the the pacific weather that that hits over in vanuatu but uh 
Yeah, as you can possibly hear in the background, it's uh, pouring with rain, as it has been basically for the last couple of months. Uh, I got about a sort of four-day period in there where I managed to do a bunch of washing, bunch of mowing, you know, all the, all the stuff that you need to do, but crammed in. But uh, yes, life life goes on. A lot of cricket happening. Can't complain too much. And I've managed to avoid COVID still. So, you know, life life's looking good. Well... Well, that makes me look a bit silly, doesn't it? You know, you've been there; it's been rampant everywhere. I, I don't know how. I, it's it's only <laughs> only been around for three weeks, and I've managed to get it. And saying that, I'm I think I'll be in the majority there by in the next next couple of weeks. I think they'll have done it done it around. But no, that's that's I, I'll give you a virtual pat on the back for that. Unless you've already had it and you don't know. I mean, that's sort of the ideal situation, isn't it? You just get it, don't even notice, and then then you're immune. But well, unless you turn into a super spreader <laughs> while you've got it. But yes, no, I I agree. Anyway, uh, yes, onto the cricket. And this week we saw Nepal triumph in a home try series against PNG in Malaysia, which had just got started last week. We saw some great footage in from the final with uh, over 12,000 fans in and, and in a great atmosphere. Lenny, good friend Andrew Leonard, tweeting and uh, you know posting excitedly in the group chat about uh, how much fun it was and making everyone jealous. But uh, to go through the results of the series, uh, as we heard Last week, Malaysia beat PNG in a, in a big upset in group play. Uh, Malaysia was then thumped by Nepal. M- Malaysia posting 114 uh, for eight wickets, which Nepal chased down in the 14th over uh, with six wickets in hand. Then Nepal beat PNG again, posting 203 in their 20 overs. Uh, Dependra Singh Ayri top scoring there with 66 off 33. PNG made a decent crack of the chase, but but never really got going. They were 166. Six, but uh, Karan KC for Nepal uh, was the headline there in the bowling attack. He, he took five for 21, including a hat trick. Um, in their second match against each other, Malaysia posted 196 uh, against PNG uh, for six wickets with Syed Aziz, Bez's favourite, uh, hitting 64 of 35. But PNG came storming back. Tony Eura smashed 86 not out of 34 balls and they chased it inside 18 overs, which was a hell of an effort. Uh, in the last group match, Nepal beat Malaysia comprehensively. They posted 223, uh, five wickets down. Dependra Singh Iri, 110 not out. Malaysia could only get to 138. And then in the final, PNG never really in it. Nepal posted 168, six wickets down. Dependra Singh Iri, there's that name again, 54 not out. And PNG could only get to 118 with Ceci Bao top scoring 59 and Dependra Singh Iri taking four wickets uh, for 18 runs backing up. So a uh, fantastic tournament for uh, for Iri and uh, a good home series in general for Nepal. They looked very dominant. Uh, the young batting lineup again looked really strong. Uh, Karan KC provided some some highlights with the ball. Uh, the as, as I said before, you know, the atmosphere and, and the crowd uh, is always great in Nepal, but, you know, just great to see. And, and you know, good for um, uh, the Cricket Association of Nepal to be running these tournaments and, you know, feeding the desire for, for cricket uh, back home uh, because, you know, if you're relying only on ICC fixtures, it, it's sort of pretty patchy. So good stuff with that. Uh, where did you see this going, Tim? I, I think, yeah, the, the main talking points again are, I guess the, the TU ground is a bit of a road at the moment. Uh, in terms of not much assistance for the bowlers. Uh, Nepal's young batting lineup, as I said, uh, looking strong. Tony Eura hopefully clearing his head a bit with that innings. Um, do you think PNG could be uh, turning a corner or, you know, are they uh, in trouble still if, if we look ahead to the qualifiers? Well, I, I think they're a better position than they were 
you know, a month ago before they, they started the Cricket World Cup League 2 series in the Middle East. And, of course, PNG now get back on a plane and go, go west because life is peaceful there. <laughs> and there's also a Cricket World Cup League 2 series um, against Oman and Scotland I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about soon. So there's no rest for the wicked when it comes to being a, being a Barramundi. I think in the end, you know, I think with Malaysia getting that one win over PNG and it's sort of lauding, you know, how what do rankings mean, I think things sort of really got back to what we probably expected. Yeah, with, with Malaysia not winning another game and with, with PNG winning only only the one game, I think going into a global qualifier, they're going to be wanting to be winning more than just one game there. Because Nepal are, what, five or six places ahead of them? And Nepal being, well, they now ranked, I think, 12th in the world is still very, very high. Um, and I think, you know, they did have that great home series there last year. But I still think, you know, it's probably three or four places too high. And you still think, that PNG need to be doing better against that opposition, especially leading into the qualifiers. To answer your question, I think there's still a lot of work to do. That Tony Ura had that one really good innings of 86, but then he only scored just over 100 for the remaining four matches, and still at a great click at almost 200 uh, strike rate, which is great to see. But we've we've talked about this, you know, that sort of thin. Well, getting to Easter, I think you could say that the thin the thin shell at the top, uh, and then a sort of a gooey middle. We can't have that, you know. They need to have that cream and, eggs. And no emerging cricket is is not starting to sell Easter eggs. Well, you know, if, if Cadbury cream eggs want to come on board as uh, show sponsors, uh, I'm happy to take all the all the free chocolate they're willing to give us. Yeah, I know. I just like this. It's I'm not sure if the virus is going to just got hit my analogy. But but that's what we we need to see from them. The Ura needs to be firing if if PNG are going to go anywhere in the qualifiers. And they've got League Two before that. But like we've talked about in the past, July is going to come around really really quickly. Nepal impressive playing at home, big crowds didn't allow the occasion to get to them at all. I know I've been a little bit critical of of Ire in the past about about his cadence when he's batting especially in the longer format but he definitely showed me who's boss there you know one thing for me he still gives chances and I think you know it was evident in the match he scored 100 against Malaysia you know Malaysia is the lowest ranked team in the competition you know played a part-time wicketkeeper to try and bolster their batting I re-runs past one on I think he was 18 or 19 and the part-time keeper misses it and I goes on to get to get 100 with a couple, I say lucky, you know, he still scored 100 in the T20s International, but kind of shots that kind of balloon into the, the outfield and whatnot. You've got to take those chances and, and you've really got to get your best wicketkeeper in there to take those chances because, mm. you know, on, on games like this, that's where a lot of those opportunities are. So it was a little bit disappointing there from Malaysia. I think we'd, we'd hope they would stand up more after that win against PNG. Yeah, but to answer your question, it's... Uh, if I'm the head coach of PNG, I'm still quite nervous there. And as you said about Tony Ura's state of mind, I think that's probably the most most important part. Everyone else did their roles. It was good to see uh, Ceci Bao play a sort of bigger role in this series than I think he has in sort of recent past. I think I mentioned last week of how how good he's been for you know more than half a decade. But he seemed to stand up a little bit more in that in that middle order, which could be really, really good. But uh, where was your man Legacy Yaka? <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Five matches, 36 runs, average of 7.2 and a strike rate of barely over 100. So I think it's fair to say he struggled. I don't know. It's the same thing again and again. You know, he plays in innings, looks really good. And then the next little while he just doesn't do a whole lot and you know that's been happening for the better part of a decade I don't know what it is I I don't know if his development 
potentially was was stunted as a younger talent coming through you know he didn't quite have the high performance structure that uh you know if if he was playing in a full member he would have you know to sort of build up around him but uh yeah not good enough i don't think i mean you know you look at the 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 png batting lineup five of the guys made half centuries throughout the series um and and a number of them were were hitting uh, well over 120 130 strike rate but yeah, they just can't seem to put it all together at once, and and that's always the, the the struggle for them is one or two guys go okay, but there's always a few passengers, as it were, in in the lineup, and um, yeah, just I just want to linger on that Tony Euro innings though, and just on the point about his mindset, he he does strike me as the kind of guy who you know if his mind's clear and and he just you know see ball hit ball keeps it simple, that's where he's strongest, and yes, Malaysia were bowling you know pretty tame medium pace so he could just sort of free the arms but some of those shots you know he, he hit a hole in the side screen you know like that's that's some hitting um he you know carving it over extra cover just pure muscle like he he hit the last shot to, to win the match literally out of the ground so you know the, the guy can hit and we've always known that and it's just why it's been so frustrating over the last sort of couple of years uh, that that he's been in in such mediocre form, and so yeah, as I said, hopefully this is a uh, you know him just kind of finding that headspace that allows him to just clear the mind, clear the front leg, and and just swing. Um, yeah, Nepal. I guess I, I do wonder how much these sort of home series they looked really good against Malaysia and the Netherlands in that series last year. I, I do kind of wonder how much these home series uh, on a flat surface in TU. Uh, papers over some of the cracks with their batting lineup. You know, we saw they they were a bit fragile in the you know the tri series and and some other cricket they've played recently. But um, you know, you can only play the matches that you're playing, and and they looked really good. Uh, Dependra Singh Iri, as we said, uh, a ton, couple of fifties, and and backing up with four wickets in the final. It's a pretty emphatic performance there. But uh, you know, Asif Sheikh, Rohit Padel. All the kind of usual suspects of that um, building middle order, you know, who who've looked so good recently. Karan KC got in a, one of his trademark slogging innings. Uh, I think he had a tournament strike rate of over 200, so uh, that goes well with his hat trick. Um, but uh, yeah, even you know, Sandeep Lamachane is another one that w- was sort of in the, uh, the 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 fuss about their batting. He kind of slipped under the radar, but he was going along, you know, as usual, 11 wickets, economy rate under seven so pretty standard stuff for him but uh yeah great great tournament um looking forward a little bit there's some talk of a zimbabwean side touring soon which i I think will probably be an a team or or maybe even weaker again like that team zimbabwe sent to namibia uh, last year which was a sort of a team slash emerging slash chairman's 11 type thing which wasn't even a full a team um so we'll we'll see how that goes but uh if they can get a Zimbabwean side over. That would be an interesting barometer of, of both teams. It's a bit frustrating, though, because Zimbabwe, I'm not convinced they're that much better than Nepal, even at full strength, uh, especially at home for Nepal with, you know, 12,000 people screaming at them. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Why Why don't they send a, a stronger, at least a strong A-team rather than, a you know, like they did to Namibia, a weaker side? And in a way, they're just kind of hurting themselves if that's what ends up happening because, you know, presumably they'd want to tune up ahead of the, the um, T20 World Cup qualifiers in, in July. Yeah, I found that interesting. And I think I've already seen tweets saying that there's an A-team tour that's already happening at that time anyway for Zimbabwe. So they're not going to have anyone from the first or, or second team. So as you said, it, it will probably be an emerging squad. And, you know, before I said 
perhaps Nepal's a little bit flattered by their by their rankings, but it's only Zimbabwe who you know are just ahead of them by one or two places. So it make you wonder unless there's a real commercial advantage to them them going there um, and somehow from from media rights or, or or something else, then they're not playing against a full member as much as they want to talk about it. So really, it's going to be a name only. And if they're just trying to get bums on seats, there are I can think of you know ten other teams that would be a better. Uh, competition without the the full member banner so it's great that the cricket association of Nepal is, is looking at these these opportunities but i think there are better ones out there um, and especially the fact that nepal are not going to be in the world cup it means that they probably don't need to go chasing after t20 series as much as the likes of zimbabwe should because they're they're leading up to the, the qualifiers in july yeah and, and as we said the third team in that uh, tri-series was malaysia only got the one win against png uh, but uh, looking uh, back home for Malaysia, some bad news as the MCA, Malaysia Cricket Association, is being kicked out of Kinrara Oval, um, which is or, or was one of the better facilities in, in that sort of Southeast Asia region for cricket. Um, there seems like they've run out of road. There, there was a similar situation a couple of years back where the government intervened to uh, give them a, a kind of... <laughs> a stay of execution, I guess, in, in a, uh, a dispute with the property owner, a, a, a real estate developing company. It seems like the allegation is that they were behind on uh, assessment fees, which, as far as I can make out, is some kind of uh, property tax, uh, local council kind of rates. And the the MCA's point was that as a registered non-profit, they should be paying uh, the fee for a recreational organisation. But the court... Uh, ruled with the developers that the MCA should be on the hook for commercial fees. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to wade into the Malaysian legal system, so so um, we'll just leave that there. But uh, I guess looking a bit more broadly, it was always a temporary lease. They had a 15-year lease which started uh, in 2003, I believe. The government paid for most of the upgrades uh, to get the ground up to standard for the Southeast Asian Games. You know, so that's 15 years of use from a very good facility, but the the lease was always going to run out. And in land as valuable as it is in in Kuala Lumpur, especially in that part of town, which is right near the train station and and pretty close to the CBD, you you feel like they were always going to have an uphill battle to keep hold of it and, and, you know, renew that lease. So... It seems like they probably should have planned for this a bit better. But yeah, very disappointing news because Kinrara is a, a really good facility. It's a development hub for the game in Malaysia and even around the, the region with a lot of teams coming in and, and uh, you know doing training series and, and whatnot there as well. It was a residential complex as well for some of the players. And it's just, yeah, really sad to see now MCA properties just being auctioned off to, to try and you know reclaim some of the money that they apparently owe. Uh, you know, tractor and groundkeeping equipment and whatnot just uh, going under the hammer. So, yeah, very frustrating situation, I guess, for Malaysia. And um, I don't know. I mean, I've been to Kuala Lumpur. There's no shortage of uh, shopping malls and apartment complexes. So, yeah, just really sad news. But I feel like the MCA probably should have seen this coming. Yeah, I guess there's always going to be more to the story. You know, we only know what's been been reported, I think. Uh, even to, to counter, I think you, you were talking about how the cost of improving the ground in the first place, I think um, the MCA put out a release today, which is Thursday as we record, saying that they counter that, but to say that actually, no, they'd gone 50-50 with all the costs to do everything over that time to, to actually get up to standard at the, at the time. Yeah, it's it just, it's a sad, sad 
day. You know, 2019, I saw the uproar when this news, well, the news of this happening originally came out and the sports minister intervened and we'd hoped that that was, it was sorted, but all it was really sounded like was a kick the can down the road um, until a meeting was then had between the owners and MCA, etc., and basically all stakeholders. And in the MCA's press release today, they basically said that that meeting hasn't happened yet, so this has all come as a, a surprise. Yeah, on the flip side, Malaysia does have more quality facilities than, than, than most associates, but that's a cold comfort at the moment, as you mentioned, with the residential facilities there. I, I remember um, Mahinda giving me a tour around Kinrara in uh, in. 20, late 2017, early 2018, and the dreams that they they had for the complex being able to house their players that were professionals, but also other teams to come in and make it easier for, for high performance training and, and, and matches. And it was a real hub, I think, for the emerging game in in that part of the world. So, no, really sad. Can only hope that there's support from others in the community that provide more facilities, as we talked about last week. You know, amazing development programs and if there's any any sort of associate member around the world that deserves the support of the government to well and and private enterprise themselves to support that the game's growth amongst the majority populations well malaysia is definitely one of them so really disappointing to see and can only hope that there's that there's a happy ending to this that you know a castle like uh telling their dreaming situation where they get taken to the high court and, <laughs> and they get the ground back but wonder i wonder what the uh, malaysian equivalent of marbo and the vibe is yeah well i don't know well, hopefully our malaysian fans can <laughs> can tell us but as you mentioned, the fact that the courts ruled that, uh, sorry, uh, not-for-profit, probably registered charity, Malaysia Cricket Association, you have to pay the uh, commercial rate, probably tells us the, the chances that they have of getting that through in the courts. So not good. So, yeah, just really disappointing. Yeah, not a whole lot else to add other than, uh, yeah, hopefully they can find somewhere else uh, as quickly as possible to uh, to relocate and to, to work as a hub because... Uh, you know, the, Malaysia is one of the success stories, really, of, of local development in terms of um, you know, local population playing and um, not so much necessarily results at the top level, but in terms of people actually getting into the game, they're, they're really up there and they're in that top bracket on the ICC scorecard development uh, rankings. So, yeah, hopefully uh, they can find something else uh, in the meantime. But uh, looking a bit further afield, the Netherlands tour of New Zealand has wrapped up. Uh, their three-match ODI series in the uh, World Cup Super League has gone, I guess, more or less as, as you would expect at the start of the series. They lost uh, the matches 3-0. Uh, as we heard last week, they lost by seven wickets as New Zealand chased down 202 in uh, just under 39 overs. The second ODI that they played on the 2nd of April, uh, New Zealand posted 264 in their 50 overs with, with Tom Latham hitting 140 not out, but that doesn't quite tell the whole story. Uh, the Kiwis were uh, were 5 for 32 and then 6 for 89 uh, before really I would say the Dutch let them off the hook. Latham played really well, but um, you know if you've, if you've got a team that far in the hole, you really ought to finish them off. Brandon Glover we can talk about in a minute, but he uh, bowled. I think quite poorly, and that allowed them to, to kind of get their rhythm back. And then in response, the Netherlands bowled out for 146, never really in the chase. Uh, third ODI on the 4th of April, 
New Zealand posted 333 for eight wickets, with Will Young making his second century of the series. In response, the Netherlands got off to a pretty good start with Steph Myberg hitting 64 of 43, but there wasn't a whole lot after that. Uh, and then, yeah, lost by 115 runs, bowled out in the 43rd over. Uh, that was, of course, Ross Taylor's final ODI, uh, and he got a nice nice celebration there. But uh, it was also Steph Myberg's last ODI for the Netherlands. <laughs> Our friend Bertus de Jong put it like uh, like this. He said uh, Myberg was essentially proposing at, uh, at a friend's wedding. Uh, and trying to steal the spotlight, but uh, yeah, a bit strange to retire in you know in, in that exact moment. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think looking at this series as a whole, the Netherlands bowling was okay, other than Glover, uh, who, who I just mentioned. I think he's just he's just been really out of form the last little while. Um, the batting looked okay in patches. Myberg. You know, if you could have produced that in all three matches, they might have been uh, going a bit better. Uh, Vikram Singh looked really good in in his well in all three of his innings. Really, just quality. You know, some of the shots he played are really magnificent. Bastard later, uh, as well, had his moments, but yeah, they they just are a bit threadbare in the batting, and uh, they they couldn't really keep up with the the quality of the New Zealanders. Yeah, interesting that the uh, proposing at someone else's wedding reference there. The uh the irony being that uh, Ryan Campbell actually proposed to his now wife, <laughs> LT, at, at a friend's wedding. So when Burgess said that in our group, it was, I, I, I had to giggle. Um, I think we covered it really well. I think this played out like, like we thought. And, you know, would a, a Vandermeer would have made a difference? You know, I'm thinking more with the, the bat here than the ball. Ackerman certainly would have made a difference up the top of the order. Yeah, I, I just think that... You, know, you put in the best players, and we don't need to talk about mandatory release here because we'll probably need another hour <laughs> podcast on top of that. But that was the difference. You know, you, and I know Tendo's retired, but that was could have been the difference between a, a, definitely a result one of the games, but also that experience out there in the field of having those county players. But yeah, you know, Ackerman and Vandermeer, and the fact that oh, it's a little bit galling to sort of see the, the result on one tweet and then to see another one with Roloff being tagged and like the Somerset you know start of season open day photos it's like oh great you know so that's more important than being released by your county that having a photo day where you could jump on a plane come back and then being ready for for round one or you know okay maybe miss the last game or something but to actually come back and play and be in match practice albeit in one day cricket but having been played against New Zealand like surely that's going to get you in pretty good stead to come up in the, the county championship so yeah Delayed was was impressive. Klassen, again, was like, at that level, seemed really, really good. And I thought that Peter Saylor's captaincy um, hmm. w- was was good. He, he seemed to have really good control out there and, and was very sure of his plans. And he did his job really well, too, in that game one um, with his batting. You know, he's come from being an, a number 11, as he's spoken about in the past, to sort of working his way up the order to see how well he batted in that, that game one. And also his bowling, too, uh, just really accurate put them under a lot of pressure and that was good to see too but uh yeah i think i don't think we ever expected the netherlands to come away with any points but you know when you've when you've got a team well the number one team in the world at five for 32 and then six for 89 
you know, you've really got to capitalise there. And I think that'll be the probably not the only situation where, where Cambo will be sitting down and talking to because I'm sure there are lots of things. But that, that was that moment. And, and, you know, Tom Latham coming out and scoring 100, you know, it's, he just doesn't do that against the Netherlands. He does that against uh, lots of other teams as well. But uh, that was a huge, huge chance and really exciting. You could see the, you could feel the buzz in the, in, in the crowd. I think there was some disbelief, but the, the, the buzz from the, the, the orange sections and then of the internet lit up as well as that that was happening too so i would say though like if we took of what we expected coming into this series and coming out i think it's probably more positives than the negatives and you mentioned vikram singh he, oh, he's just got lovely hands and lovely flow of the bat hasn't he i'm trying to he reminds me of someone but i'm not quite sure i'm not sure if he's like the love child of anshaman rath and usman khawaja um <laughs> Like just as this sort of flow through the covers and this sort of really ease swing of the bat that I'm, I'm just, it's eerily familiar. I'm just not quite sure, but um, I just hope he's someone that now, I think it, it sounded like in the past that he was not performing enough for him to be sticking with, but, but I think he just feels like someone now. He's someone you build your, your order around and you, you know, you don't give people, you know, you tell them that no matter what you do, you're never going to be dropped, but to give him some security to be batting for his country in, in every format that they play because there's talent from a, a local player still in his teens. He, he's potentially a, you know going to captain his country for 15 years in the future if he plays his cards right. And who knows what other opportunities could, could be there for him. So that was really positive to see him against world-class opposition. Well, that was the thing. He... he- Looked good. He wasn't. He wasn't outclassed. He just well, got out to a couple of brain dead shots, and he just got a little bit bogged down in, in terms. Of, wasn't quite rotating the strike as as you would like. You know his boundaries. You know his, his highlight reel looks amazing, but there just wasn't quite enough. You know singles and and strike rotation in between, uh, which kind of leads to to yeah building up a bit of pressure. Um, so I, th- I think that's one area to work on, and yeah, I guess just the discipline of uh, you know n- not dismissing yourself in uh, in silly ways. But uh, yeah, whether he's captain, I don't know. Bastelada might have something to say about that. Um, we'll, we'll see. Maybe that's an interesting uh, little uh, dynamic to to watch over the next few years. And you know, not not to harp too much on the Glover point, but you know, at that stage where they're you know five for thirty two or six for eighty nine. He really should be that strike weapon that you can bring on and, and just run through the tail and really dismiss them for a very gettable total. And uh, the the thing, he, he just, I mean, he's fast, but he, I don't know, he's just, his lines are all over the place. And I don't know, something something's just not right mentally, clearly, because he's got the skills, but he yeah, just wasn't executing at you know exactly the moment when you need your, your pace spearhead to be performing. Um, moving on. Elsewhere in the world, uh, over in Lagos in Nigeria, uh, the Nigerians hosted the first uh, first annual, apparently, they're hoping for it to be an ongoing event, uh, Women's Invitational T20I Tournament with Gambia, Ghana, the hosts Nigeria, Rwanda and Sierra Leone. It was a Nigeria-Rwanda final with the Rwandans coming up on top in the last game. They posted 129 uh, for five wickets in their 20 overs and bowled out the Nigerians for 76. So, pretty handy performance. Um, Giselle Ishimwe with 31 of 35 um, for, for Rwanda. And then Marguerite uh, Vermilia uh, taking four for 17 uh, in her four overs. Uh, choked off the Nigerian chase. Uh, accurate. Um, off spin from Vermilia, uh, but uh, Nigeria actually beat them in group play in in the um, 
in the round robin stage in a thriller. Uh, the Nigerians posted six for 117 with Salome Sunday, a uh, great name there, uh, scoring 63. And then <laughs> then Rwanda I got to six for 114 uh, with Gisela Shimwe again guiding the chase. She was 53. But uh, she was run out in the last over with a, a disastrous mix-up. They needed seven off the last over, so it was very gettable. Um, but uh, Miracle Imamole, another great name, produced uh, the goods with a very tight over of, uh, of right arm seam um, and, and sort of put them under pressure. And, you know, you, you, you don't, um, I guess, credit the bowler for run-outs usually, but I feel like that was one of those situations where the, the, um, the fact that the bowler had created this pressure it sort of caused the panic but uh gee it was <laughs> was it was bad so shimwe was up the non-strikers end and, and ran for the buy you know to get on strike and nigerian keeper abigail igbobe had the presence of mind to throw back to the bowler's end um and antoinette Wimbabaze, uh the the striker uh, instead of instead of running, you know, sacrificing herself so that Ashimwe could get on strike, the the set batter and um, you know one of Rwanda's best, instead of you know sacrificing herself, uh, she she ran backwards away from away from Ishimwe and further into her crease. Um, so I, I don't know what that was about, but uh, yeah, that that was a, a bit of a mix up, and um, they ended up. Uh, three runs short in that thriller, but yeah, good tournament overall. Uh, good to see a couple of new teams with. Uh, Ghana playing their first women's matches and the Gambia as well. Uh, Gambia didn't win a match. Ghana Ghana and Sierra Leone beat them both times. So um, the NCF, Nigeria Cricket Federation president, Uyi Akpata, said that they're planning uh, on an eight-team event next year. So that could be exciting. Um, you know, maybe Kenya, maybe uh, Namibia couple of other names in the mix there i mean ideally someone like a zimbabwe would would come up and uh you know be there but uh you know we'll, we'll see how we go but uh yeah shimwe as well i, I noticed you know just uh, looking back at the new zealand netherlands series max o'dowd didn't do much for the netherlands but uh gisela shimwe i don't know if she's inspired by o'dowd but uh, she has a similar kind of very high backlift up up around almost behind her head um so yeah interesting little connection there and yeah, so so good win for Rwanda, and uh, yeah, onwards and upwards for the tournament. Um, elsewhere in Africa, Namibia's uh, A team has hosted the Island Wolves. They drew the List A series two all. Um, that's after Namibia won the T Twenty series two one. Um, so we saw the first match was played last week, and then the second match was rained off. The third match, the Wolves got a win. Uh, Namibia posted 161 and the Wolves got home with five wickets to spare in 27.4 overs, so pretty comprehensive. Gareth Delaney hit 72 to, to carry the chase. Jan Nicole Lofty Eaton in that match, Namibia's main uh, substantial knock with uh, with 65. Ben White, the spinner, got four for 49 for the Wolves. Uh, the fourth match, Namibia came back and won it comfortably. They bowled out the Wolves for 178. Delaney, again, the, the star there, uh, 81 off 77 balls. Namibia chased with six wickets to spare in the 34th over. Uh, Erasmus... Gerard Erasmus, national team captain, was back, so that was notable. His finger was still taped, but he hit 66 not out to get them home. Um, bowling, uh, bowling is uh, filthy offies, as he calls them, uh, with rolling the arm over in the speed dealer sunnies as well, so that was that was great. Uh, Jan Nicole Lofty-Eaton with another 60 to, to carry the chase. Uh, and the last match, Gareth Delaney had a, a day out. He hit 104 off 91 with eight sixes uh, to take the Wolves to seven for 252. 
And that was after being 5 for 106 in 30 overs. And then he followed up with 5 for 39 to help bowl out Namibia with his leg spin. Uh, Namibia got to 230 uh, before they're all bowled out. Ben Shikongo bore the brunt of, uh, of Delaney's assault there. He had three for 24 off seven overs, and he bowled quite well early. Um, but then <laughs> then he ended with three for 85. So uh, if you do the maths, that's uh, 61 runs off his last three overs. Uh, Delaney really tucking in there. A um, couple of talking points, I guess. Namibia close to full strength in the last couple of matches, which was interesting, uh, I guess, giving their senior guys a bit of match practice. But I... I personally, I probably would have given the fringe guys a bit more, a bit more opportunity. Uh, the Wolves, you know, Ireland. What what did we learn? Not a whole lot, other than that Delaney's very talented. Uh, Doney and Rock were okay. Uh, none of the bowlers really stood out. I guess White was all right. Delaney, I mean, <laughs> yeah, led the averages and the aggregates for runs and wickets. So yeah, it was just the Gareth Delaney show really. Uh, Namibia's batting, still a few questions. You know, Lecoq and Lofty Eaton, probably the main ones uh, with their credentials enhanced. Uh, Rasmus still obviously is the backbone. Uh, Stephen Bard still struggling a bit for form at the top. Um, so we'll see what they do with that opening slot. Um, JP Kotzer announced that he was coming out of retirement, as we sort of speculated he might be. So, you know, it'll be interesting to watch that one. Uh, the bowling was shared around a lot. Nobody really dominated for Namibia. The usual names were out in front, you know, Bernard Holtz was tidy, going at sort of three and over. Uh, Mauritius and Gapita did quite well in his only match. Took two wickets for not many runs. Ruben Trumpelman looked threatening. Freilink was solid. So, yeah, again, sort of the usual suspects. Uh, Dylan Leicher batted quite well in that last game. Partnered with uh, with Trumpelman. He hit 46, but he didn't really bowl much. Uh, but that was after being the leading wicket-taker in the domestic franchise T20 tournament. Um, would be good to see play some full internationals against Namibia. I think it'll be pretty close, uh, especially since Ireland are sort of in a bit of a transition phase as well. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that the Wolves, Delaney really the only one carrying them, and that was against a sort of understrength in Namibia in in the first few matches. What does that say about Ireland's depth? I don't know. Probably nothing good, but uh, yeah. Hopefully, uh, Namibia can keep building and uh, Ireland, uh, I don't know where they go next, but uh, you would hope they've learnt something. Well, first off, there's that man Trumpelman again, you know, as you said, leading leading run scorer in the Richelieu. And then here he comes out playing against the Wolves to score 67 off 60. See, is it is it time to put him up the order? As a lower order hitter, I'm, I'm going to say that I, I'm sure there's a there's a knock on the door or knock on the captain's back going, mm, uh, <laughs> any chance of me getting a decent... Decent go here, Skip. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. You know, there's so many all-rounders in this Namibian team. I don't know where you would put him up. There's a number of guys ahead of him who kind of do the same thing, like JJ Smith. Would he Would he be uh, moving ahead of JJ? Look, um, I'm not the captain of Namibia or the selector, but I'm just saying it's great to have that another string in your bow there. But it's still good to see. But, uh, yeah, not much has changed since we talked last time about, about Ireland, you know, and you said yourself, you know, what else have they learnt? Probably hoping that more than Gareth Delaney shone on this tour, and it's a long enough tour as well for people to start showing their their true colours, especially if they're coming out, especially with these players that are, are awaiting eligibility. Uh, I'm sure they were hoping that they're probably seeing more more from those players. But um, good series anyway. You were talking about the fact that you know Paul are going to be welcoming a, a Zimbabwe B side potentially. You know, this is a a proper tour, uh, a good hit out for, 
for both sides. And yes, it was sort of like the worst kept secret or at least the you know most obvious thing ever, wasn't it, with J.P. Kutzer coming out of retirement. I, I don't know. I wonder, I don't know, was it more to it when he did retire? Was it a medical retire? Uh, yeah, it was family reasons. Okay. Yeah, so I don't think it was because he was, you know, cricketed out. I think it was, um, yeah, it was, it was more to do with uh, what was going on uh, in his home situation at the time. Okay, well, good, good for him to be able to, to come back and that's let's hope we can kind of see him in a better than even condition than he was when he was playing for Namibia last time because I think you know, that was something that perhaps a few people thought that that was still holding him holding him back even then um, and especially the fact that he can keep as well you know that's a, a powerful option too I know we've talked about how disappointing it is when teams don't play their first keepers but you know if he's got that that fitness there to to back him up opening the innings and also have that option with the gloves it definitely makes you a very valuable candidate for a side if you're able to keep as well well yeah Zane Green probably uh, looking nervously over his shoulder now with uh, Lawrence playing in that uh, that that Wolves series and uh, JP available for selection again so uh, yeah it'll be interesting to see which way they go and uh coming up next for namibia at home uh uganda has touched down after a apparently quite a circuitous route to get there from kampala a couple of uh long stopovers and uh a trip via ethiopia somehow uh, to get what would be normally sort of a three or four hour flight direct but uh they're there which is the main thing um so yes uganda's men have a t20i match on April the 8th, 9th and 10th, and then a couple of 50 over matches on the 11th and 12th against Namibia. Uh, They haven't played since they qualified um, through African regionals to the global qualifier back in November last year, uh, where they beat Kenya in the final. So it'll be handy to to shake off the rust as they look ahead to global qualifier B in July, which is going to be held in Zimbabwe. The Ugandans were pretty comprehensively beaten last year when they toured, um, so I guess it could be good for Namibia to maybe give some of the, the fringe guys more of a go and, um, you know, blood them in. But, you know, good good on Namibia for hosting them. Um, we were, you know, as we were just saying, it's not ideal that, you know, Zimbabwe potentially sending a, a second or third string side to Nepal and, um, you know, Ireland, as good as the Wolves tour was, would have been nice to have a, a full kind of international series. Um, but, yeah, so Namibia practicing what they preach and and they're actually playing full internationals against their regional neighbors uh, and, rather than you know palming them off with <laughs> with B teams so so that's good um yeah i think probably uganda's going to get more out of this than namibia and uh it'll it'll be the first series that they're playing since they've unveiled their new sponsor uh which was uh, some exciting news for them plascon uh, a paint company apparently the number one coatings company in africa um who am i to disagree with that um <laughs> they're funding the men's cricket team for a period of two years uh, for a total of 240 million uganda shillings which amounts to roughly sixty-five thousand us dollars um, with 140 million shillings, um, so a little over half, being paid in form of 70 million per year uh, to the team and the players, and the rest being paid for the support staff and and you know ground facilities uh, and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, pretty good news on that front. Uh, hopefully, it'll allow the, the the players to focus a bit more and move towards that level of professionalism, which will allow them to yeah keep climbing up the rankings after being uh, in pretty good shape in the uh, regional level and, and in uh, Cricket World Cup Challenge League as well. Really good news. Any um, sponsorship at that level, especially with the, the lack of exposure, you could say that perhaps that Uganda has compared to Namibia and others in the, the League 2 and, and higher and, and getting that exposure. So really good. And at this time, 
I know that countries are in different stages of the pandemic and Uganda are hopefully more out of it than, uh, than say, a Vanuatu is, considering we're both in the Challenge League. I think it is a fair comparison. This is really good. And considering that the UCA have just lost their... Well, not so much lost, that their, their CEO has completed his his contract in there and they're hiring for a new one at the moment to be to do that sort of midstream is uh, is really impressive so uh, well done uganda and just as we wrap up a um, little bit of news we've got the cricket world cup league 2 tri series another one being played in dubai uh, this one with scotland png and oman uh, we've got matches on the 9th 10th 12th 13th 15th and 16th of april all matches will be played at Dubai Sports City, um, so that'll be interesting one to keep an eye on, uh, and uh, we'll be bringing you the news from that uh, in the next couple of weeks of the podcast. And that's all we've got time for this week, but remember to follow Emerging Cricket on your favourite social media channels or log on to emergingcricket.com for the latest news and analysis in the emerging game. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Nick Skinner, and Tim Cutler, as we wish you a good day wherever you are around the cricketing world.